Mark chapter 2, remain standing with me. As you got your Bible, you have it there on your app, amen. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to get into something that I started last week, and we're going to finish even here today. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. How many? Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Look at your neighbor and say, tear the roof off. And it says, above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this in Hayward. Father, be with us here this morning, Lord God. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, Lord Jesus. I pray that your spirit would move continually here this afternoon, all the way into the evening, and throughout the rest of the week. Father, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. And we all said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, step out and tear the roof off. Then you may be seated. Step out and tear the roof off. Step out, tear the roof off. Now, if you were here last week, that's what I talked about, but actually, there's a little bit more I want to go into here, so I guess you can call this Step Out 2. Dance Revolution. I'm just kidding. It's for all you Step Up folk, amen? I was just visited, I uh, was able to see uh, my cousins and also my sister. My sister's a dancer. She's a choreographer. She does all the dance moves and stuff like that, so every once in a while, I, I talk to her about it, and I go, oh, don't let me get up in there. Don't let me get up in there, girl. No, seriously, don't let me get up in there. I don't, don't let me do that. Break my neck. I really, really, really love this ministry because of the radical, crazy things that have happened. Now, you have to get this. Coming to this church, we are a little bit uh, different than your average church, if you will. Now, I don't know what an average church looks like. I've never been in one, so don't ask me, but I've heard. From what I've read, from what I've been told, this church is not your average church. Who in the world puts on seven dramas in seven days? Who does that? Now, I just came from Victory Outreach Gilroy. I drove in here. We were supposed to be performing our drama last night over there called Club 36. They didn't allow them to because the city did not like the flyer. The city. Now, believe me, that was a whole thing. Like, wait, oh, oh, the, they've done the Duke of Earl there. Got big old guns on there. They've done other dramas with girls on there. Uh, like, no big deal. You know, that's what we do. We bring in the people. But the city told them, you can't do it because, now, I was cracking up when I heard this. It's a true story. The uh, principal that they were going to do the school at said that the girl on there, you guys seen the girl, right, on the Club 36? She looks like this. I do my best. That's my, that's my Club 36 impression. That's pretty good, right? Could have been an actress. Could have been somebody. They said that the girl was too provocative, right? That's what they said. Now, this was the other thing that tripped me out. This is what really made me laugh. They said, yeah, we don't like the girl and we don't like the guy. 
said, the guy. Now, if you've seen our flyer, it's a guy. He has a hat on, right? It's an Oakland A's hat. And this is all he's doing. He has glasses on, and he's like this. That's it, right? You've seen that, right? That's all he's doing. They said, we don't like the guy. So they said, well, how come you don't like the guy? He said, because the guy is looking at the girl. <laughs> I'm not making it up. That's really what they said. That's what they told him. They said, you can't do that. And so the funny thing was they went to the city to go fight it, and one of the kids was in the high school. He went to his office, took pictures in the office. They have condoms sitting on the desk. It says, take one, have safe sex. That's what it says. But they don't like our flyer. Crazy. So you know what I say? We're going to do it anyways. If you can go out there, put condoms right there, put them right there blatantly for to see, talk about all this stuff with have sex but be safe with it, go out there, make sure you do this. So hold on, we're going to give you free testing for the drug addiction because we know you take needles. We know you go out there, so make sure to take the HIV test. Right? And you're going to do all that stuff, then I can talk about my God too then. I can go, if you can do all that stuff, then I can get a little crazy. I can get a little radical. I can go out there and shout and let people know that Jesus loves them. More than a piece of plastic can cover them. Why not? See, those are the radical things that also got us to where we're at to this day. Because we didn't listen to what the world was trying to silence us with. When the world's trying to push us out of the house, there were four guys or a few guys that said, Hey, they're pushing us out, but I got an idea. Let's go to the top and tear the roof off. Let's do something out of the ordinary. Listen to me. Some of you here this morning, you're going to have to step out and get out of the ordinary. Get out of the ordinary. Aren't you tired of being ordinary? Just, there has to be more than just waking up, put, uh, uh, eating some cereal, getting in your car, going to work, putting money in your pocket, going home, telling the kids, hey, what's up, going to bed, waking up, and doing the same thing all over again. Isn't there, there has to be something more than that. There's got to be something more than just, there, there has to be something more than that. And my friend, I'm here to tell you, there is. There is. There is life and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Come on, can I hear an amen? Now, if you were here last week, there was three things, real fast, I want to share with you, that what I saw within these characteristics of these men, these four men that did something out of the ordinary, number one is they had a conviction. Somebody say conviction. Now, conviction comes through intimacy with God. It's very important to have that. Those of you that are married, uh, in today's day and age, I saw this the other day. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, I guess that's our generation of today. This would have never happened in the 50s, 60s, or maybe the 70s. But nowadays, we have married couples that not only sleep in separate beds, but they sleep in separate houses, and they're still married, and it's okay. And it's perfectly fine. Now, if you want to know... and. Now, for those of you that are saying, well, see, some of you right now, well, I thought that's normal. No, that's not normal. Actually, you, you know that marriage, sex was designed for marriage? It was designed for that. That's what sex is for. If you're not married, stop having sex. I'll just put it like that. People always ask, well, how do you know? I'll just make it very simple and very plain for you. If you're not married, don't have sex. But if you're married... I am. <laughs> or should I say I did? I got four kids, amen? My preachings are walking around, amen? It's okay. It's perfectly fine. Matter of fact, in marriage, you're supposed to be intimate. That's what it's designed for. You're, that's a part of your intimacy. Now, it's not the only part, but it is a part. It is designed for that. God made you that way so that you could feel secure, so the woman could feel secure, and that the man can have that respect that is due to him. You're supposed to have that. That's a part of it. That's love and respect. It's a part of who you are in marriage. Now, the same thing comes with Christianity. If you want to be able to do the, the things of God and, and do the works of God, you must first be intimate with God. 
You have to be intimate. And conviction comes by intimacy. And somebody said, well, how do I get intimate? We just had an all-night prayer the other day. That's a great way to get intimate. That's a great way to get. Sometimes you just got to cut off everything. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Turn off the music. Some of that music anyway is a bunch of junk anyways. Just turn it off. Throw it in the garbage and get on your knees and get intimate with God. I want to challenge some of you. Some of you are saying, man, I, I come to church, but I want a closer relationship with God. Listen, church is just a slice of heaven. It's not all of it. If you really want to bring heaven to Hayward, get intimate with God, and then take heaven out there. That's what it is. Faith in works. Faith is happening. So number one was conviction. Somebody say conviction. Now, conviction moves you to compassion. In other words, when you feel that need and you see that need, you move to that need. You move to that need. It's something that you see and it moves you. Somebody say moves you. I shared the other day about how I come up over here to Lucky's, which I'm sure many of you, you're very familiar with this whole area. Downtown's starting to be like a little area where people hang out. We're starting to call it like the handout area because people now know, oh, this is where they got money. I'm going to come out here and just get some handouts. Now, if you're from over there, listen to me. I'm not trying to give you a handout. I'm trying to fill your heart up. That's what I'm trying to do. It's very important. Now, this is what's real important is that because of the compassion, you see the need and you move with it. I've seen plenty of guys out there, and I pray for them. I go out there, and I let them know. What's very key about this story with the four men that Jesus saw, remember, the first thing that Jesus did that you will see, he didn't tell them to get up. The first thing he told them, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. The first need he met was his spiritual need. It wasn't the physical. It was his spiritual. Yes, he had a physical ailment. But the first need that Jesus saw that this guy had was a spiritual one. Listen to me, Victory Outreach. If we're going to meet needs, I know we try to go out there and we try to feed and put cans together and we do all this stuff. And those are good. But a lot of that stuff is emotional stuff. A lot of that stuff has to be with, be with all Poor somebody, poor so-and-so. Somebody should do something. Oh, well, here you go. And that's that kind of moved with pity. But the moved with compassion is where you're not just moved to say, somebody should help him. You go, you know what? I should help him. Let me do something. What can I do? I got an idea. Let me put you on my donkey. Let me take you over here. Let me take you to the inn, and I'm going to get you there. And then whatever needs you may have, let me take care of it. Taking care of those in need. Not just meeting it, but taking care of it. See, moved with compassion. Somebody say compassion. Somebody say compassion. And then the third thing and the last thing that we see with these men was sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. Come on, somebody say sacrifice. Now, already these men were radically uh, moving. They were in a radical movement. Who in the world, thinks about, think about this, who in the world goes to a person's house that they don't know, walks up on top of it, and tears a hole open in the roof while they're there. See, now, right now, for some of you, if I were to say, hey, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, Greg, yeah, we need your help over here. Uh, you think we can get into that house over there? Oh, I know Greg. Pastor, no problem, Pastor. I got you, Pastor. I got you, Pastor. Hey, 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 come here, guys. Come here, guys. Hey, hey, come here. Christian, be quiet while I'm talking. Now listen, listen. Pastor said get in this house. Brother MacGyver, your turn. And more than likely, we would get in the house. That's pretty good. Was that all right? I did everything but the fist. So my fist is not as big as yours. I can't do the hands. And more than likely, that would happen. But what I would be referring to is his old ways. That's what I would be referring to. Because he knows how to make that happen the old way. And so the old way, more than likely, if we saw a crowd and we're like, hey, get out the way, man. Hold on, I got somebody here. I got, no, 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 I got, because that's the old way. The old way would tell somebody else, hey, who do you think you are? Hey, man, that's the old way. But now, listen to me, now you got to figure out a new way. 
And new ways take radical ways. It's not the same way. Listen to me. Those of you leaders and even people that come to the church, because this happens all the time. People come to church, and they, they come in, and right away they have an expectancy of the church. That's sad. Don't ever do that because you will always be let down. So if you came to church with an expectancy, okay, the church has to be like this. If they, do the, if they shake my hand twice, then it's a good church. Or, if the, okay, if the air conditioning, if it's good air conditioning, then I'll come back. If it's not, then it's too high. I don't want to go back. That's not a good church. Okay, if the, if the seats are good, you know, I know it's pews here, but I would really like my own chair because then I could scoot away from people. But I don't know. We'll see. So if you come to church already with an expectancy, guess what? We're going to let you down. Matter of fact... Where in the world, or should I say, where in the Bible does it say that we come to church and have an expectancy put on God? Matter of fact, when you read the book of Acts, it was the other way around. They came to church and God said, change. But many times we come to church and say, okay, uh, you guys need to change this. You guys need to do this. You should be doing this. When really God said, wait, 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 wait. I've come here so I can change you. Look at, look at, look at, conviction, so that you can do what you see. See, when you come to church, and if you feel that, you're like, man, I really, okay, pastor said young married, but I'm not married, but I'm young. Do you guys have something for the young? You know what it's probably saying? You know what you're feeling? It's probably you who's going to start it. You're probably the one that's going to start it. We should have something for the, for the young single moms. We should, but we don't. We should have something for all the, for the mothers and the fathers of the men in the home. We should have it. Yeah, we should, but we don't. You know, we should, have, we, should have a, uh, we should have a homeless night where we go out and we pray for the homeless. And yeah, we should, but we don't. You know why? Because we're waiting for you. It's waiting for you to have the conviction enough to do something new and do something supernatural and be tired of just sitting under the roof. Some of you need to start tearing open the roof. Getting something brand new. Tell your neighbor, brand new. Come on, somebody say brand new. Now, the thing about it, there's three things that I want to give you that I believe that sometimes we have a lot of misconceptions of God when it comes to wanting to do the works of God or wanting to do the ministry of God. Three misconceptions that I want to give you uh, of God's will for our lives that many times we don't understand, and we try to understand, and so we have this misconception. One reason why many people are hesitant to step out into ministry is, number one, that we want to know everything before we step out. We want to know everything before we step out. Lord, show me, and then I'll step out. I can't tell you how many times in the home I've seen guys come in. And they're like, okay, okay, um, I'm going to get clean. But after I get cleaned, uh, this is what I would like for, uh, to happen. Uh, if you guys can make sure, because uh, once I'm clean, it'll probably take me about a week. Then, uh, then you guys can start making my bed. Uh, that'd be really good. Uh, after we do that, man, then maybe I'm going to get some visits. I'll let you know when I want the visits because the visits, I'll, I'll tell you. Don't worry about it. I'll let you know when the visits come. Then uh, I'm going to have some money on the books. After I do that, you know, because I'm clean now, I, I can handle a, a cigarette every now and then, but I'll let you know how I can handle it. I'll let you know how that goes. We put all these stipulations because now we say, okay, this is how it's going to, this is how I'm going to change. This is how my marriage is going to be. My marriage is going to go, I'm going, okay, I'm going to get back into this marriage, even though it's a little rocky. But first, God, you got to do it like this. And so we want God to show us every which way before we go that way. Can you imagine if this ministry were to be started like that? If Pastor Sonny, now I, I was listening to the story of Pastor Sonny's testimony uh, a while ago, and it always stuck to me. You know what he, he was saying? This really got to me. This is how he started Victory Outreach. You guys want to know how he started Victory Outreach? You guys want to know how he started Victory Outreach? Now, some of you think, well, I know how he did it, but it's, some of the stuff is not even in the book. This is what he was sharing. This is what he was saying. He said that when he started, this is how he started it. He got saved. Now, many people know he got saved through Teen Challenge there in New York City, right? Other David Wilkerson, powerful man of God. And he, when he got saved, he was the first drug addict, and Nikki Cruz was the first gang member. So what they were doing is all of a sudden they got saved, and they started taking them all over New York and all over the East Coast and taking them out traveling everywhere. And Pastor Sonny would share his testimony, and he would start preaching. Now, the thing about it is that in Teen Challenge, he had a future, 
He had somewhere to go. He was comfortable. There was comfort there, so he was cool. Now, as he was doing it, all of a sudden he went to LABI. When he went to LABI, there at the, the university, nobody was witnessing to people. Now, not just drug addicts. They weren't witnessing to people. No witnessing. All about education. All about education. All about education. But he said that, man, something was moving inside of him. Like he couldn't help it. I, I don't understand. So that all of a sudden, he started witnessing to people, getting these drug addicts and getting them saved. And they were getting converted. And he was sending them to houses. He was putting them places. And then finally, he said, man, you know what? Uh, I, I think maybe I should start preaching to them. And I should start getting with them. And so he started doing He started meeting with them. He started meeting at the uh, Teen Challenge Temple. But he was all of a sudden, God told him, in the middle of doing all this, this is what God told him. God told him to step out and start a new ministry. That's what God told him. But you know what he said? He said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to call it, this is what he said, because he was affiliated with Teen Challenge. So he said, I'm going to call it Challenge Temple, because just in case it doesn't work out, they'll still let me in with Teen Challenge. That's what he said. Because remember, and we're humans, we want that level of security just, just in case. I want to do it. I know God's called me to do it, but just in case. You know, a little cushion, a little cushion, a little cushion. But, Lord, I'm doing your work. I'm doing your work. And God says, no, no, no. You're, you're not even doing the full work. You're not even doing a part of the work. Because the work that I've called you to do is to step out in faith. Now, when he was doing it, he said that all of a sudden God told him to step out and do it. So he went to David Wilkerson. Look at this. He went to David Wilkerson, and he told him, God told me to start a ministry and a church for drug addicts. You know what David Wilkerson told him? You're crazy. So he told him. He said, you're crazy. He's like, well, well, you think you can help me? David Wilkerson told him this. He said, if you're not team challenged, then I'm not supporting you. I'm not going to support you. You're not going to get nothing. He went to Nikki Cruz. Hey, Nikki, you're going to help me. Nikki said, too crazy. <laughs> he probably said it like that, too. Said, you're crazy. This is, come on, be, be over here. This is what, you, you have a future here. You have security here. You have a cushion here. Why are you going to go out there? Drug addicts will never give you anything back. <sighs> That's crazy. But then he said that it just kept coming upon his heart. It kept coming upon him over and over and over and saying, man, look at these drug addicts. Nobody's reaching these drug addicts. I got to do something. I can't just see them and then pray for them and then send them off. I got to do something. I got to do something. He had a conviction. And then he was moved with compassion. And then he stepped out and said, listen, I don't care if nobody else wants to get involved with this. God has called me to reach the treasures out of darkness, even if nobody else wants to go out there. It's time to step out. And because he stepped out, you and I are able to step in. Because of that, because of his first steps, you and I can take ours. Thank God Pastor Sunday tore the roof off. Thank God he did that. Listen to me. The, the, the plans of God is not revealed to you all at once. Can you imagine if all of a sudden, Pastor Sonny back then in 1965, and when he was filling that call, and he said, okay, God, I want you to show me what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure Pastor Sonny would have ran away. If they would have fully shown him what, what we have to this day, 40 plus years later, I'm pretty sure Pastor Sonny would have been like, wait, 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 hold, hold on one second. That's too much backstabbing going on there. Oh, that's too much stuff. I can't handle all that. I'm, I'm just barely an ex-drug addict from New York. What am I doing over here in L.A.? I don't know. Matter of fact, he used to always trip on that all the time. Did you know that Pastor Sonny didn't even know Spanish before he got here? He speaks fluent Spanish. You would think like, wow, he's Puerto Rican. He's got it. He's actually Italian. That's what he is. He but he just speaks it like fluently, 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 like nothing. You know that Pastor Richard Prieto, who's going to be speaking here in a little while, he got delivered from AIDS. When he got delivered from AIDS, God said, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to put something inside of you. When Pastor Richard Prieto was here and he got saved, he didn't speak a lick of Spanish. Guess what church he pastors now? The Spanish church. I'm pretty sure if God would have told him, Richard, I'm going to save you, and you're going to speak to a bunch of Mexicans. 
I'm pretty sure Richard would have been like, wait, 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 hold up, wait, no, no, hold up. I don't think you can speak any Spanish. See, some of you, you think that you're waiting for that whole plan to be revealed, and then you're going to do it. God says, no, I've called you. I've saved you. Now just step out. Get out there. I'm going to take you through the process, and I'm going to give you what you need to go through that journey. But you got to step out. you got to step out. Listen, some of you here this morning, you've been waiting, and you've been saying, how can I get involved? Listen, just don't look for that avenue of that ministry. Maybe some of you, you're going to start a new ministry, but all you got to do is step out. Step out. Look at your neighbor say, step out. Come on, somebody say, step out. Listen, my friend, it's called the unknown for a reason. It's the unknown for a reason because you have to step out in faith. Somebody say faith. Somebody say faith. These are the things that God has given us. He has given us promises. So many times we look for God. I want you to show it to me. And God says, I've already shown it to you. It's in the word. I've given you these promises. It's like many times, I don't know about you, but I know when I first got saved, I used to think that God was going to open up the clouds and reveal himself just to me. And he was going to be standing there, and then his like, angelic hand was going to come down and be like, my son, I have called you. I will lift you above. Well, not totally above, but right here. That's how I used to think. Like, I got saved, man. It's going to open up. It's going to be awesome. And, when, you know, all these angels are going to start singing. Oh! My son, this is the plan that I have, have for you. Thus saith me. To this day, I've been saved now for 16, 17 years. Hasn't happened to me once. Never once happened to me. But you know what has happened? Every time I've stepped out... He's shown himself to me. Every single time. Stepped out, shown himself to me. Can, can you imagine, like, for those of you that are married, when you first got married, didn't you have a certain concept of how you thought marriage was going to be? And then all of a sudden you got married and you went, oh, Jesus. See, because when you're, when you're single, that's just how you think, right? You think, oh, it's going to be all bed of roses and roses on the bed. And, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And she's going to cook for me. And I'm going to cook for her. Or kind of. I'll buy her food. And then she can cook it. And... It's going to be so great. And then, let's be honest, when you're single, you really think about one thing the majority of the time. Like, oh, yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to have so much fun. <laughs> no. Not even close. A lot of people, when they see the pastor up here, they think, oh, man, he's up there preaching. And look at him preach. And oh, that, that's pastor. Uh, one day I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to get behind that pulpit. And I'm going to be able to preach just like pastor. And it's going to be good. I want you to know something. Preaching of pastoring is like uh, 3%. It's like 3%. Maybe 5%. Maybe. Maybe. 5% of pastoring. It's very, very small, very minute. Because pastoring has a lot to do with stinky sheep. That's what it has to do. But guess what? That means the shepherd has to stink too. So if you guys are sweating right now, good. So am I. I'm sweating too. All right. No big deal. I don't care. What's very important for us to understand is that when it comes to stepping out, maybe not everything is all revealed to you all at once. But I want you to know something. God has the plan already laid out for you. He's just waiting for you to step out. Tell your neighbor, step out. Come on, tell your neighbor, step out. Now, for those of you who think, well, I'm too old. I, I, I'm, too, I'm done already. I've, I've already done this. Maybe let the other people do that. That's not for me, or, or I don't have that skill. That, that's not what I can do. Maybe let God use that person, or they're, they're, they're better. They, they dress better. They talk better. They look better. Maybe let God use them. Maybe not me. I want you to know something. Uh, there's people in the Bible that were ordinary people that God used. Look at this. Somebody say amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Noah, he was a drunk. Wow. Thanks, Noah, for getting on the river. Abraham, too old. 
For those of you who think, well, I'm too old, read the story of Abraham. All these people, you can write it down if you want, listen to it on the podcast, read it for yourself, get in these scriptures and find out about it. Isaac, he was a liar, just like his daddy. He was. Jacob, liar and a schemer. Leah, she was ugly. That's cold, huh? That's cold. But it's true. Now, she wasn't just necessarily ugly. I'm talking on the outside. Actually, on the inside. She was a deceiver herself. Leah was a deceiver. That's what made her ugly. It wasn't her appearance. What made her ugly was the inside. Yet, still was used. Joseph, he was abused. Abused. Mentally, physically. He was really abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was scared. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a bitter widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Mary, uh, Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And look at this one. Lazarus was dead. And God still used him. I'm pretty sure if God can use a dead guy, he can use you. I'm pretty sure, not, po- no, I'm positive. Actually, I'm positive. If he could use a dead guy. My father used to always say, as long as you're breathing, there's hope. There's hope. Look at your neighbor and say, are you breathing? The second reason Why many people also don't step out in the church is that we think the calling of God is boring. We think the calling of God is boring. See, and this is why many of us and many of you, you come to church and you have one foot in the church, but you still have a foot out there in the world. Because, you know, we have these concepts of, well, if I come to church, then I got to be like a, 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 what do we call it, the monk, right? I got to be a, hmm. Mm, or like the, the, the nuns, right? You got to be like a nun. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. I don't even know what that word means, but I say it because everyone else is. Halle- I don't know about you, but what I found is like being a part of God's will is not boring at all. It is energetic. It is fun. It is awesome. It is powerful. My God is awesome. My God is great. His will is powerful. His will is strengthening. His will can be a part of something great in your life if you would just let him. Way too often we think, ah, if I go to church, those people are boring. They got to wear ties. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't like wearing a tie, don't wear one. Don't wear one. Don't wear it. Pastor Elias, he likes wearing a tie. Why? Because he looks better than Brad Pitt. Come on now. He's just got a high five on that one, right? Look, we don't wear ties and we don't wear dresses because we're trying to impress the person next to us. I wear a tie because I want to perform for an audience of one. That's it. That's why I come. Because, man, I love coming to church. I love jumping up and down. I love moving. I said it before last week. Steve Hayes, this guy gets me pumped, man. This guy's going. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a cane. I call him Big Daddy Kane. Because I, I like hanging around because it's not boring. Man, I don't know about you, but I hate boring. I can't stand boring. Matter of fact, if I could, I would tell God, God, why do you make me sleep? Sleep is so boring. See, some of you want to laugh, and then some of you want to go to sleep right now. Yeah. Like, I love sleep. I love it. Now, you know why I don't like sleep? I don't like, if I could, if, like, if there was one thing that I wish 
you know, there's a few things. Number one, I wish that if I ate a whole lot, I didn't gain a whole lot, right? That's number one. Like, oh, that'd be awesome. Number two, I, I really wish, like, we didn't, I didn't have to sleep. Can you imagine if we could be up 24-7 all the time? That would be awesome. Man. See, now, some of you, you think in the concept of, well, you have to sleep. True. I'm not talking within the concept of what you have to do. I'm talking about what I desire to do. See, some of you need to start turning around what you, you're, well, I have to do this. I have to go here. I have to say that. I have to go here. I have to say this. I have to shake his hand. I have to shake her hand. I have to say hi. I have to smile. If I don't smile, they're not going to like me. Like, listen, you need to get out of the concepts of what you have to do and get into the concepts of what you desire to do. What do you want to do? You need to go after that because once you go after that in the radical ways, you're going to start tearing off the roof. See, some of you right now, you've been under the roof for too long. Some of you need to get out of there, find the paralytic man, get up there, get on top of the roof, and start opening it wide open. You got to get out of the what you have to and start getting to what you desire to. For I know the desires that you have. God knows the desires of your heart. He gets them. He understands. That's why you got to go after it and go after it with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your conviction. Go after that thing. What do you desire to do? What do you want to do? Because when you do that, then you're going to make some radical changes. You have to make some radical changes. I still remember the first time I had to make a radical change, so all of a sudden now you're going to become a preacher. Now, for those of you that know me very well here within this church, I didn't want to be a preacher. I wanted to be a ball player. That's what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to play baseball. That was my number one thing, getting scouted by the Astros, scouted by the Phillies. They came over. I was getting all excited. And then I'll never forget, a couple weeks later, I broke my ankle. Oh, my gosh. Come to find out years later, what I found is that it wasn't really a, a base that broke my ankle, because that's how I busted my ankle, was there on the base. It wasn't the base, it was God that broke my ankle. He had to say, wait, 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 hold up, slow down. You're going down the wrong baseline. You're going down the wrong pathway. That, that, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. You need to change something. So God, for me, in order for something to change within me, he had to break something in me. See, some of you here this morning, you're wondering why certain things are breaking all around you and it's crumbling all around you, and you think, it's the enemy, it's the devil. No, it's not the devil. No, it's not the enemy. Actually, some of the things, it's just trying to break you out of going down that pathway because if you keep going down that pathway, you're going to go down a pathway of destruction. That's right. And so it's not until you change. Now, listen, when that changed, then all of a sudden my perspective changed. Then I didn't see church as being boring all the time. Then I didn't see churches like, well, I just got to come, do my celestial duty, lift my hands, and hallelujah, praise the Lord. But I, all of a sudden, I started coming going, man, I want to be here. Man, I, I like coming here. Man, I, I, I like dressing up. Man, I like carrying my Bible. Man, I like shaking people's hands. I like to, I, I actually start liking doing this stuff. No longer is it something that I have to do, but it's something that I want to do. No longer is God's will boring to my life, but now it's exciting. There's something great going on. I don't have to look forward to just coming in and having a sad face all the time and saying, who's going to break my sad face? But then all of a sudden I say, no, I come in. I got a happy face because I'm happy. Yay, some of you guys got to start just doing that Carlton when you walk in like, hey, 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 put it on repeat, hey. Because many times we come into the church and we're, we, we're, this is how we think many times. I know I did. We come and say, I dare you to make me smile. Hey. <laughs> That wasn't that funny. That preacher's not that funny. I don't want to be back here again. That preacher's not that funny. He didn't make me laugh. See, they can't break me. That's no big deal. I'm like, oh, it, it's, I want you to know right now, this church is not boring. And we always say this all the time. If you feel church is boring, guess who the church is? You! Because we say that all the time. It's not the building that's a church. I am the church. You are the church. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of God. So if you've come and you say, man, church is boring, then guess what? You're boring. You are. Because I'm telling you right now, shake hands with Greg. You will never be bored ever again. His handshake will impact your life. It will. 
Yeah, we'll have a handshake fundraiser. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I mean, I like coming to church. It's happy. It's fun. We're a little slice of heaven right here. Every time you come to church, this will be a little slice of heaven. It should be exciting. It should be fun. This should be a place where you say, man, I want to go and learn about the things of God so I can go out there and do more things of the, uh, for God. When you come here, it's, it's exciting. Last week, I was doing some dances. Isn't it fun to dance? It's fun to dance. Some of you guys, you need to start dancing again. You got to start dancing. But look, 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 not the old dance, right? Because right away, you know, of course, you got to like, okay, because when I start dancing. But when you really understand what dancing is, dancing, what that means, it means leap for joy. That's what it means. That's the translation, leap for joy. And joy, the Bible says, joy comes in the morning time. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. True joy comes from a true experience of sorrow. In other words, you've been down in the dumps before, but when you get up, all of a sudden when you wake up, joy comes in the wake-up time. When you wake up, all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't know what it is. Uh, everyone else is like, oh, don't you smell that? Don't you see that? Don't you look at that? And you're like, you know what? I see it. I smell it, but it doesn't affect me. Why? Because I have a true joy, a joy unspeakable that no one else can take away. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. It's joy. It's a true joy. Some of you here this morning, you got to get that true joy back. God's will is not born. My God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside like a lion. Like some of you guys got to stop kitty catting around. He's roaring like a kitty cat. <laughs> How was church? It was good. How'd you like it? Thumb up. It's cool. No, when people ask you about church, say, oh, church is good, but what can I do for you? How can I bring church to you? See, that's what these four men did. They were radical in their thinking. They weren't figuring out ways just to get people to come to church. They were trying to figure out how to get church to them. Getting church to people. See, far too often we come up with the concept of, okay, let's pack this place out. Let's get it going. Listen, I believe if you do the will of God, he will be able to give you the desires of your heart. He will be able to show you and reveal it to you. But I want you to know something. It's not about packing this place out. It's about getting people into heaven. It's about getting people to feel a little bit of a little bit of heaven right here in Hayward. How can I bring heaven to Hayward? How can I bring heaven to Oakland? How can I bring heaven to Union City? How can I bring heaven to the East Bay? How can I do that? I know. You pick up that side. You pick up that side. You pick up that side. I'm going to pick up this side. And we're going to break this. We're going to take this man. We're going to take him to the house. Oh, my gosh. Look, it's filled. I know. We're going to go on top of the roof. We're going to tear the roof open, and we're going to let him down. You got to think outside the roof. You got to think outside the roof. Stop thinking the normal, well, I just have to. Listen to me, my friend. I've said this before. Even when the buckets go by and many people always think that, well, I have to put money in the bucket. No, you do not. If you do not want to give towards this church, if you not, do not want to put one cent, one dollar in the bucket, please don't. It should be something of a desire of your heart that you want to worship God. Listen, the bucket that goes by whenever we talk about giving and tithes and offerings, that has nothing to do with the dead president in your pocket, but it has everything to do with the desire of your heart. That's what it has to do with. So when the bucket goes by, it's not like it goes by and you're like, oh man, well, who cares? No big deal. I ain't got nothing. But actually you feel something like, man, I don't have an opportunity to worship God right now because that's what worship is. When you're doing giving, you're worshiping God. And so whenever a chance or an opportunity comes, you're like, man, I want to worship God. So if the bucket ever goes by ever again and you feel it in your heart, you're like, well, I don't want to give. Then guess what? Don't give. Don't give. It's perfectly fine. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. You know what cheerful givers are? They're prepared. They're ready. They actually come to church, man. I can't wait to give, man. I can't wait to, oh, man. Ooh, just wait. Oh, my gosh. Wait till that thing comes by. I'm going to be like Michael Jordan. What? Oh, yeah. And 
done, baby. What? Take the bucket. That's right. You could do it now. Everyone's got to look at that girl. Chill out, girl. Oh, my gosh. Because you want to worship God. You desire to do it. It's not something you have to do. It's something I want to do. I want to come to church. I want to bless his name. I want to help those in need. It's something I want to do. Tell your neighbor, step out. As they come to the piano and keyboard here this morning, the last reason why many of us are hesitant to step out in ministry is we think that God can't really use me. God can't really use me. I can imagine the first guy who thought of the idea of bringing his paralytic friend to Jesus. At first, it seemed like a great idea, but then reality sets in. Reality of all the people all around. Reality of everybody else has a better talent than I do. Reality of everybody else has a better seat than I do. Now remember, these four men, they came, they had the worst seats in the house. They had the worst seats in the house. Yet, they didn't let the worst scenario take away their friend's miracle. No matter what they were going through, no matter what anybody else said, they were willing to sacrifice their reputation over it. They said, hey, we need to do what God has called us to do. Listen, some of you here this morning, something that whatever God has put upon you, you need to know something. God can use you no matter your situation, no matter what you're going through. Even in the midst of things that all around you seem like, man, this is the worst situation I'm going through. Nobody else is ever going to understand me. And so because everybody else really doesn't understand me, God, you don't really want to use me right now. You're going to wait till I come and I get perfect. Wait till my marriage is, is, is looking good. Wait till my kids actually ha have everything together. Let's wait till I actually, uh, you know, I look like a pastor. Wait till I actually, then I know you're going to use me. And God's saying, What? There's not a scripture in the Bible that can back up that philosophy at all. Nothing. We think like that. We think, well, God can't use me. There's just no way. I'm extra addict. Or actually, even in this ministry, people think reversed. People think, well, God can't use me. I wasn't a drug addict. They think reversed. Well, I'm, I'm not like him. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they were really bad. They were bad. Pastor Daryl, oh my Jesus. He was bad. So because he was really bad, God's going to make him really good. I wasn't really bad. I was like kind of bad. So maybe God might make me kind of good. Show me a scripture that backs it up. And when you show me that scripture, then I'll listen to you. There's not a scripture in the world that would back that up. There's none. Now, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. But guess what? Every single one of us at one point of our lives, we were all foolish. I don't care if you have a million dollars in your account or no dollars in your account. Every single one of us at one time have been foolish. We've acted a fool. So sometimes we come to church and say, okay, well, I got to wait till I look clean. Wait till I look good. Wait, wait till I stop. Okay, once I stop smoking, then God will use me. You know that I've seen people who are even, to, because we have this in the church, right? We, we have this concept. Okay, you need to stop doing all that, then God's going to use you. I've seen people who didn't stop smoking that God has used mightily. Even, now, in the midst of the process, then they stopped. Then eventually they stopped. Because once you get intimate with God, you have to stop doing everything else that the world is holding on to you with. You just want to. So I think smoking has nothing to do with heaven and hell, but it'll sure make you smell like you went to hell. Nothing to do with that. But as you get intimate with God, you'll want to stop drinking. That's all. That's all it is. I was watching a, a, a movie the other night. I, I was flying back and forth from L.A. to here, and so I have this movie on my iPod. Never seen it. I go, you know what? Let me, let me watch it, you know. So I had my iPad right here, I was watching it, listening. So I've never seen it. It was called To Save a Life. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie before. Anybody ever seen that? Called To Save a Life? Wow, nobody's seen it. One. Okay, one. Two. 
two of you. Oh, I thought a lot of people saw it. It's a Christian film. It's done by Outreach Films. It's a really good magazine, too. It's called Outreach. Check it out on your own. It's called To Save a Life. And as I was watching it, at first I thought, oh, man, a little corny high school flick. All right, whatever. But then it started getting to some deep issues. I was like, wow, this is pretty heavy. And it showed a youngster coming to church, mind you, came into a youth group. And the youngster came and he introduced himself to the youth pastor. He said, hi, my name is, you know, so-and-so. And the youth pastor was like, all right, great, great to see you. And as he's talking with him, one of his youth came up to him, started talking to him. And he goes, oh, excuse me one second. I'm going to talk. And they just started talking to his youth and forgot about the kid. The kid then left later, committed suicide the next day. That hit home. I was like, wow. That's crazy. In the midst of that, one of his best friends from junior high that started avoiding him in high school made him an outcast so in four years he felt like an outcast so that's when this kid committed suicide his senior year and this guy who was his best friend in junior high who was actually right there when the, his wasn't really his friend it was now an acquaintance committed suicide it impacted him now it impacted him so much that he went to the church. As he went to the church, he was just like, I got to change. He was still smoking. He was still drinking. He was still having sex outside of marriage. Just the day before. And he went into the church. And he's seen actually the youth group. He's seen all the youth group playing around. Because, you know, that's what the youth group, they just love just play. They'll play. They're doing this and doing that. And he's watching them. And he's sitting there. Mind you, he just had sex right before. He was just drinking at a party the night before. Just right then. And he gets up. In the middle of a youth group, and goes, hey, what are you guys doing? I can't believe this. I don't even know God, and I know what you're doing is wrong. And I, as I was watching the movie, I was like, man, I could have, and even when he said it, I guess he cussed. He cussed real quick. And everyone was like, oh, he cussed in church. Well, the crazy part of the whole thing is what I'm saying is this is that the cusser, the drinker, the womanizer was doing more and being impacted by God than the ones who were actually in the church. So don't think for a second, well, God can't use me. God can use you. God can use anybody. You just have to feel that conviction. Because once you get the conviction, you're going to want to stop doing whatever it is that's taking you away from God. Don't wait and say, okay, once I get clean, once I stop having the desire to drink, then God's going to use me. No! God will use you right now. Just get the conviction. It says, man, I want to please God. I don't know what I have to do. I just want to please Him. I don't know how the plan's going to look. I just want to go after Him. I don't know what a pastor or a pastor's wife is supposed to look like. I just want to pursue him. It's come from in here, not from right here. It's in here. It has nothing to do with how you dress, how you look. It has to do with inside of here. That you're impacted. Listen, I know that many of us, we come from a background where my father wasn't there. My mom wasn't there. They were divorced. They were separated. And, and this happened to me when I was younger. And, and if people only knew, listen to me, I may not know, but God does. And listen, even in spite of your background, God still wants to use you. Oh, I don't, well, I don't speak very well. Or even happens a lot of times, well, I don't speak English very well. I'm, you know, I have, a, I have an accent. Nobody wants to listen to me. I don't look like them. I'm too big. I'm too small. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too this. I'm too that. And God is saying, when are you just going to just be sick and tired of being sick and tired already? I want to use you. I've called you. Can you imagine if those four guys were saying, wait, wait, I'm not strong enough yet. Let's go get somebody else. Let's get somebody else who's stronger. Let's get somebody else whose marriage looks better than mine. Let's get somebody else who has a better parenting skills than I do. Let's get somebody else. Let's get somebody else who has more money than I do. I, I can't do that. Can you imagine if, if they would have did that? The paralyzed man would have never walked. There's somebody out there that's paralyzed that's waiting for you to pick him up. 
The Bible says that because of their faith, he was healed. That's one of the most heaviest scriptures to me. I like that. Two scriptures are, are just are profound in the simplicity of how they talk. Number one, their faith healed this man. Number two, his faith saved his whole house. How in the world does that happen? Those two scriptures just blow my mind. A guy who was too small has his whole household saved because of his faith. How does that happen? I thought you were supposed to come to church and lift your hands and say the prayer. I thought you were supposed to wear a suit and look good and shake everybody's hand and know everybody. Then you were going to be used by God. And God says, I've never used anybody who came to me all perfect. Actually, I've made them perfect through their perseverance. He will finish his perfect work in you through your perseverance. you got to do something. You have to step out. You got to be tired of just standing on the shores. You got to be tired of that. You got to be just tired of just, man, just tired of coming to church, man. Tired of just coming here. My friends, man, they're all messed up. This has got to be something more than this. It's got to be something more than just dressing up and trying to look good on a Sunday. It's got to be something more than this. Has to be. Has to be. God, I just want to bless your name, God. I just want to pursue you. I want to get intimate with you. That's all I want to do. If I preach to one person for the rest of my life, Lord, let it be the one person that makes the impact of you through me. That's it. I want to preach to thousands. I just want to preach to one. Lord, use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. You can do anything, do it through me, God. Don't wait to be perfect. Don't wait to have that perfection. You say, I gotta look good. God wants to use you now. God wants to use you now. Don't wait till you have all the money in your bank account to when you start giving. When I have $10,000, then I'm gonna bless somebody. Bless somebody right now with 10 bucks. But that's all I got. Perfect! Perfect candidate to understand what sacrifice really is. You want to learn what sacrifice is? Be a giver. You want to learn what conviction is? Get intimate with God. You want to learn what compassion is? Get the conviction and convert it into movement. Don't wait until, oh, okay, I'm going to have it when everything's all together. I said, I know some of you are right now in situations that you feel like nobody knows what I'm going through. As long as nobody knows that nobody's going to really care if I'm doing anything. God cares. God cares. He knows what you're going through. He knows exactly what you've got. He knows that your marriage ain't together. He knows that many people don't even, you know, the, the things that you're going through, you think, wow, it's not even a great marriage. I don't even know if this is a marriage. No, it is. It is. It's a marriage. They'd be going through it, but still a marriage. I don't know, this kid, man. I don't even know. No, that's, that's your kid. It's yours. You made him. It's yours. Wow, if he would just listen to me, then I know pastor will use me at church. Actually, I'm going to be very honest. Even if your kids don't listen to you, as long as you train them up in the things of God, as long as you train them, you're there to be a trainer. Just learn to be a trainer. That's all you got to do. Learn to be a trainer. Not a perfect parent. It's not going to happen. Be a trainer. Because your kids will let you down. Your wife and your husband will let you down. It's just going to happen. It's part of it. But through that perseverance, Christ will finish his perfect work in you. Stand with me here this morning. Stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah. No man can follow Christ and go astray. Romans chapter 9 verse 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay? Some pottery, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. 
Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will, fail, will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord... Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. Philippians 4:19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, who have been given to us through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, who loved us. I am convinced that nothing. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 14, 27. I am leaving with you a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift to the world that they cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. So many promises. God, show me. I've given you the promise. It's yours. When are you going to use me? The moment you hold on to that promise, start walking in it. They can use you right here, right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As they begin to sing this song, as the worship begins to sing, listen, if that's you here this morning and, and something's been laid upon your heart, I want you to slip out of your seat right now. I want to pray with you. I want to believe God with you. If any part of this message, you say, you know what? God has been putting something in my life. I feel